Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you here today. And we're continuing on my very favorite chapter of the Bible, Romans chapter 8. Some call it the greatest chapter uh, ever written. Recently, I was talking to my dad, and he was telling me a little bit about his evangelistic efforts. He invited uh, some of his neighbors to come to church, uh, not at the same time, separately. And here's what he discovered. He talked to the neighbors on the one side and asked if they would come to church. And their question was, uh, is, this, is this born again? Are you born again? And my dad said, well, yes. Oh, okay. And that was the end of the discussion. And then on another day, he did the same thing. He asked the neighbor on the other side, uh, would you be interested in coming to church? And his response was the same. Are you born again? Now, with further discovery, further research, um, my dad's a researcher, as you know, uh, he discovered that the question, are you born again, is a question that is often asked by people who perhaps come from a Roman Catholic background. And the reason they ask, is a church born again, is because they equate the term or the expression born again with that which is evangelical or Protestant or Pentecostal, whatever you want to call it. It was Billy Graham that really put the push on many years ago to be born again. And so in their minds, to any church that talks about being born again or is born again is not the true faith. Now that's interesting because if you read in John chapter 3, verse 3, when Jesus was asked, what must you do to inherit eternal life, what does he say? He says, you must be born again. This morning, I want to talk to you about what that means. I want to remind you that life in the Spirit is a life that is all about being born again, being a brand new creation, a brand new creature. In other words, who you are now, if you're a Christian, is not who you used to be before you became a Christian. This is what life in the Spirit is really all about. God has adopted you. He is our Father. He has adopted you into his family, and you now are a new creation. He has become your Father, and you have become his child. This is life in the Spirit. You're a new person. You're not the person you used to be. Whereas before you were part of and you belonged to a blood family, now you belong to what we call a spiritual family. It's the family of God. Look at this passage of scripture from Romans chapter 8, verses 15 to 16. And it says this. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. Now, in case you don't know what Abba Father means, what does that Abba mean? It's the Aramaic, and it simply is the term, the, the affectionate term used to describe or to address one's earthly father. So it would be very similar to our daddy. So we say daddy. So not just, it's not just the official title, but now it's, it's an affectionate way of addressing your beloved father. So now we call him Abba Father. Now can I just say this before we go any further? This idea that God is our father is an, was an absolutely radical and new way of thinking about God. For many people, God was inaccessible. 
He was out there somewhere. He wasn't really involved in our lives. He didn't really care about us. He was distant. But here we discover that not only is God near, but he has chosen to call us his very own children. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Now, this is, folks, whether you know it or not today, is the most exciting and the most thrilling discovery in the whole Bible, to discover that God is your father and that you are his children. What does it mean, then, to be a child of God? Well, very quickly, the passage starts out like this. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Before you were adopted as God's own child, you were slaves to sin. You did whatever your sinful nature told you to do. Every sinful impulse you had to do something that you knew was wrong, you would do it. You were literally slaves to the prince of this world. The Bible says that Satan is the prince of this world. He's the prince of the air. He's, he's sovereign over our culture. Everybody, I don't think anybody here would disagree with that. We see the fruit of that in our world today. It's a dark, dark place. And it's a dark, dark place because the Bible tells us that Satan is a prince of this world. Now, recently I watched a documentary. I, I, don't ask me why I watched this one, but I, I think it's just because I'm a documentary lover. I love watching documentaries. And in case you don't know it, YouTube has got literally hundreds of them. Well, one day, and don't laugh at me, one day I watched a documentary about serial killers. Serial killers. That's serial with the S-E-R. Not serial with a C. Serial killer with a C would be uh, Bran. Every one of them, every one of these serial killers, when they were interviewed, said that they recognized that what they were doing was wrong. Every one of them. And furthermore, they said that they didn't want to do it, but that something within them was making them do it. They said they felt powerless. Andy Papadopoulos, a friend of mine, when he first went to Greece, went back to his homeland to be a missionary, at that time there was a man who was terrorizing Athens. He was killing women. And he went to see Andy. Or Andy went to see him, pardon me. Went to his prison cell, and nobody, nobody wanted to be near the man. Everybody was disgusted by the man. But Andy thought, you know what? I'm a Christian. I need to bring the good news of Christ's love to this man. So he went to this man, a serial killer, and he said, what on earth what would drive you to do this? What happened? He said, you know what? Sir, I don't understand what happened. I don't know why I did this. All I knew is that I felt compelled to do it. I didn't want to do it, but I did it. And Andy said this. He said, you know what, sir? I understand what you're saying. And I understand, it's, I understand uh, exactly the feelings that you have in your heart. And the man was shocked now because he absolutely did not experience any sympathy from anybody, and understandably so. He is a serial killer after all. But Andy pulled out his Bible, and he read to him a passage of Romans chapter 7. 
And if you have your Bibles, you can turn there and listen to this. And here's what I'd like like you to do, is when you see or hear something that resonates with you, you could just throw a little amen there. But listen to this, because in this passage in Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul describes not just serial killers, but he describes everybody in this room. Thank you. Now, you know, you, you didn't come to church this morning to hear the pastor say that you are in the same level as a serial killer. And I'm not su- suggesting that we have any serial killers here today, and if we do have any, would you let me know? But here's what we all have in common. Listen to this. Paul says, I don't really understand myself. Yeah, I don't really understand myself. For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. Oh, did you hear that? It's sin in you that's doing wrong. He goes on to say this. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. Can anybody relate to this? I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what, is, but if I, do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. Verse 21, I have discovered this principle of life, that what I, when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature... I am a slave to sin. Folks, the Apostle Paul beautifully sums up the experience of every serial killer in the world and absolutely everybody else in this room. We are, every one of us, struggling with our sinful nature. But Paul comes along and tells us in Romans 8, verse 15 to 16, that we no longer are slaves to our sinful nature. Folks, listen to me. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is what Christianity is all about. You and I are no longer subjects or slaves to sin. You and I have been set free by Jesus Christ. You and I once we are born again, once we've given our hearts to Jesus, once we say, God, I'm putting my faith in Jesus Christ, once you make that choice, once you make that decision to put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says you are, from that day forward, set free from the power of sin in your life. You don't have to sin anymore. You're free. That's good news, folks, because many of us labor under this notion or this idea that we have to go on sinning because we're sinful beings. But the Bible says, no, you don't. In fact, the Bible says you're not obligated to sin anymore. 
You don't have to give in to that sinful nature. Why? Because the Bible says you're born again and you have the Spirit of God working in you. Back a few years ago, we had the United Church approach us, approach me, and asked if I would be willing to teach their Bible study class a little bit about what we believe concerning baptism. And so what I did is I said to him, well, you know, the the only way that we can ever do a class on baptism is we've got to explain to people what it means to be born again. So he got a kind kind of a funny look on his face. He said, okay, fair enough, because I cannot baptize somebody who's not born again. How many understand that baptism does not save you? Does everybody understand that? Because some people believe that. They think if they get baptized, then that's going to be their ticket into heaven. And the Bible does not say that. Baptism is an expression of your faith in Jesus Christ. You first have to put your faith in Christ, and the baptism follows. So anyways, we brought the people in here, and we gave them a tour of the building, and showed them the baptismal tank, which they found very, very interesting, because they don't, they don't dunk people. They just, you know, christen them. And it was funny because at that time, the church was preparing to go to Zambia. And one of the things that we were going to do in Zambia is we were going to build some play structures. And there's some things that you couldn't get in Zambia. We had to bring it with us, put it into our container. And so we had these slides. And the slide was propped up in the sanctuary right by the baptismal tank. Now, just imagine, imagine people coming to visit our church that are not familiar with our baptism techniques. And one of the ladies said, so do, you, do they slide into the baptismal tank? I said, no, that's just for the staff to play with. <laughs> we, had some, we, had some, we had some really good discussion. I said, basically, what, what this act of baptism is, is it's, a, it's symbolic of our old self dying and being buried and then coming up a brand new creation. They thought that was really intriguing. And then at the end of the session, I opened it up for some questions. And one of the fellows in the group said to me, excuse me, but I, I just want to ask this question. Who, who do you think you are? I said, why would you say that? He said, well, how can you sit here and tell us that we can know for sure that we're going to heaven? He said, in my mind, that sounds very arrogant and presumptuous. In fact, it sounds like you're bragging that your, your people are going to heaven. Well, I, I, said to, I said this to him, look it. What I'm telling you is not just based on my assessment of myself. I didn't one day decide to do a checklist to see if Alan Duncalf is good enough for heaven. And yeah, I met all the criteria. I kept all the laws. I don't break any laws. I'm a good man, so therefore I'm going to heaven. What you need to understand, I said to the man, is that your salvation is not based on anything that you do. Now he's really scratching his head. He had no idea what I'm talking about. I said, listen to this. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, from a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. He says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed. Did you hear that? God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done so that none of us can boast about it. Ephesians 2, 8-9. You better underline that in your Bible. 
Now, there are many people, many people who call themselves Christians, not just Roman Catholics, but also many Protestants, who believe that the way that they're going to get to heaven is by doing good things, by being careful not to smoke and careful not to drink and careful, you know, not to, not to spend too much money on bingo. And if I do all those things, I'm going to get to heaven. But the Bible tells us clearly that the thing that determines whether you're going to make it to heaven or not is whether or not you put your faith in Jesus Christ. It has nothing to do with your works. So that some of you might say, well, Pastor Ellen, does that mean then that I can live like hell? No. Because the evidence that you are born again, the evidence that you belong to Jesus is that you have a new lifestyle. You don't do what you used to do now that you're a Christian. In fact, here's the thing, and you've heard me talk about this before. It means now that you are part of a new culture. Look around here today. This is a new culture, a different culture. It's a different culture from the world. In fact, the Bible calls us children of God, which means we are part of his family, which means we're part of a new culture. And we don't do the things that we used to do. Paul says, you're no longer fearful slaves. You're no longer thinking God's out to get me. So many of us have this idea of God, but the minute we make a mistake, he's going to get his bat out and let us have it. I saw that. Boom. Boom. That's not God. In fact, here's the thing. No matter how many times you make mistakes, no matter how many times you fail, no matter how often you fail, no no matter how often you get it wrong, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, God does not kick you out of the family. In the earlier service, I was pointing out to my Sarah, my daughter Sarah, the first time she spilt milk, I didn't say, what kind of a dun calf are you? Dun calves don't spill milk. Out! Go find another family to live with. My kids have all made mistakes. And they're still making mistakes. And I'm making mistakes still. I'm still not 100%. I'm still not where I want to be. But guess what? That doesn't mean I'm not part of the family of God anymore. It doesn't mean that God has kicked me out and said you're not worthy to be in this family. What makes me worthy to be in this family is Jesus Christ. And that I put my faith in him. So when God looks at Alan Duncalf, he doesn't see Alan Duncalf. Thank God he sees Jesus. I'm I'm not a slave. I'm not a fearful slave anymore. I'm not afraid of God anymore. I don't think to myself, man, am I getting it good enough? Am I doing enough for God? Am I pleasing God enough? So many of us right now live defeated lives. We we don't live that victorious Christian life because we always feel that we're not good enough. So let me just set the record straight right now. You're not. (laughs) You're not good enough. And you never will be. But Jesus Christ is good enough. And when you receive Jesus Christ into your life, you receive the Spirit of God so that when God looks at you, he sees his son. 
You no longer have to be afraid anymore. And guess what? You are no longer under the power of sin anymore. When the devil tells you or tempts you to do what you shouldn't do, you say to him, no, I don't have to do what you say anymore because you're not my boss. This is what I loved about Nicholas and Sarah growing up. Nicholas would say, Sarah, load the dishwasher. And she would say, no. You're not my boss. You, you've, heard, you've said this yourself, haven't you? No, you can't tell me what to do. You're not my boss. Guess what, folks? You can do exactly the same thing with the old devil. You can say, no, I don't have to do that anymore because you're not my boss. Now, those of you who have not put your faith in Jesus Christ, you can't do that yet because he still is your boss. But if you put your faith in Christ and you've asked Jesus into your life, he's become your new boss, and now you are under the power of the Holy Spirit and not under the power of sin. Someone say hallelujah, please. Yeah. Folks, this is the gospel. This is the good news. This is what a broken and hurting world needs to hear and wants to hear. They want to know that they don't have to go on the same old ways and the same old patterns and the same old paths. But they can be free. No longer slaves to sin, but set free. You received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. You're not slaves to sin anymore. Now what you are is children of God. There's this notion that we're all children of God. You've heard people say that. It's a very sentimental mishmash. We're all God's children. Well, guess what? We're not. That's what the Bible says. It's not just me being a nasty old pastor here. The Bible's clear about this. We're not all children of God. The only people who can say that they are children of God are those who put their faith in Jesus. In fact, the Bible says that before we put our faith in Christ, we are enemies of God. How many know that? I really see this at funerals. When people who have lived their whole life without any thought to God, they come to the funeral and everybody's talking about, oh, we'll be in heaven and or, you know, just, we're floating on clouds playing harps and we're all God's children. And the fact is, is, no, you're not. Now, this really sounds harsh, and I'm not trying to be harsh this morning. What I'm trying to tell you is the truth. As much as you want to hear the truth from your doctor when you go to him, you want to hear the truth from your pastor when you go to hear him speak, right? Or would you like me to tell you lies? Or would you like me to tell you what's going to make you feel good? I'm going to tell you the truth that will set you free. You received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. The only ones then who can call God Father is the one who's been adopted by God. Now, Paul wants these, his listeners to understand what goes on here. And so what he uses is, is the analogy of adoption. So here he says, instead you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now here's what you need to know about adoption. Because most of us don't think much of it. We think, yeah, we get adopted and lots of people are adopted. But what you need to understand is something that the Romans would have understood when Paul talked about adoption. They would have understood the legal implications of adoption. When a person was adopted, according to Roman law, 
he would lose all of his rights from his old family, and he would gain all the rights of the new family. Now, this is significant. Listen to this. You lose all of your rights. You lose your old identity, and you gain the new identity of the family that has adopted you. Now, let the Spirit of God speak to your heart here, because this is very powerful. The old you, with all your failings, with all your mistakes, and all the rubbish and the nonsense and the garbage that has plagued you your whole life, that's the old you. But when you're adopted into God's family, you lose the old identity and you get a brand new identity. And I don't, I don't know about you folks, this is fabulous news. When God adopted you, the old Alan Duncalf died. The old Jeff died. The old Dennis died. That's the, that's the old Dennis. And Dennis, the new Dennis, can talk about the old Dennis as though that old Dennis was an absolutely different person. That's what the Apostle Paul wants you and me to understand. When you became a Christian, you gained a brand new identity. And you have gained the rights of this new family. So in the most legal way, God is, in fact, our Father. Now, this is not just a sentimental notion. This is not a sentimental ceremony. We therefore now make you part of our family. It's binding. It's legally binding as though it had never been any other way. To, to demonstrate this, let me share this. Uh, Emperor Claudius, he wanted Nero to follow him on the throne. And so what he did is he adopted Nero as his own son so that when he died, Nero would take the throne. Now Nero, he, wanting to cement his position as the emperor, he wanted to marry Claudius' daughter, Octavia. The problem is, is that when Nero was adopted, it made Octavia and Nero brother and sister. And so when he wanted to marry his new sister, Roman law said, no way. But Nero protested, but we're not even blood related. We're, no, you can't marry her. Why? Because legally, you are brother and sister. And the only way that Nero could marry his sister, Octavia, was by getting a special act of legislation by the Senate to allow Nero and Octavia to be married. That, my friends, is how legally binding this adoption is. So here's what you need to know. Once you are adopted into God's family, it's not, you, don't, you can't say, well, I'm in God's family and I'm out of God's family because I'm sinning and I'm back in God's family and I'm out of God's family. That's not how it works. And many of us have lived our Christian life like that. I'm in, I'm out, I'm in, I'm out. I remember when I was, when I was a brand new Christian, I often thought that you know, if I sinned, that I had to get re-saved. Anybody like that or is it just me? And if the pastor gave an altar call, I'd come forward to get saved again. Until finally one day someone said to me, why do you keep coming up here to get saved? It looked at me as if there's something wrong with me. I said, well, I, I, I don't want to get into the details, but I feel like I've let God down. And the person very kindly and gently explained it to me and said this. Just because you make mistakes, just because you sin, just because you fail, doesn't mean that you're kicked out of the family. 
No more than your parents would kick you out of your family if you make a mistake. Oh, the lights went on for me. That was a revolutionary day for me when I realized that I really was adopted by God into his family. Now here's the thing, not only do you lose rights of your old family and gain the new rights of the new family, but you become heirs. You become heirs with Christ in the Father's estate. Look what it says there in verse 17. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. Does everybody know what an heir is? An heir is somebody who inherits from, his, from, from the estate. And in this case, we're saying that we inherit from God, from his glorious riches in, in, in Christ Jesus. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share in his suffering. Now, what is it that we inherit with Christ? What is it that we get from our new family? How many know that many of us have inherited traits from our family, from our parents? I'm very much like my father. I think I drive like my father. In fact, if I'm with my dad in Victoria, she will say, and now I know where you get her from, you're just like your father. And I'm an excellent driver most of the time. We inherit these things, don't we? One day I was talking to Jesse when he was quite a bit younger and I was watching his hand expressions and all of a sudden it dawned on me, he's, he's got my hand expressions exactly, he's got my mannerisms. He's even talking like me. Where did he get it from? He inherited it. But look at this. You're part of a new family and now you become like your new family, you become like your father, your heavenly father. Some of you grew up in a home where your father was maybe not the nicest man in the world. In fact, some of you have got horrible, horrible tales to tell about your father. Now, here's the good news. When you became a Christian, you got a brand new father. A father not like your earthly father. A father who will not let you down. In fact, a father who only wants good for you. Who only wants the very best for you. What do we inherit? Now, this is going to maybe rock you a little bit, maybe not. It should. Because here's what I know about everybody in this room today I know that everybody in this room has moments when you struggle with forgiveness and you struggle with loving people, especially people who maybe can't return that love or with people who maybe you feel do not deserve your love. When your life is transformed, when your life is converted, when you belong to Jesus Christ, it's a game changer. It changes your nature. Whereas before you were self-centered, unforgiving, selfish, putting yourself first, wanting to be served rather than serving, when you are born again, you take on the nature of your heavenly Father. And we see it. We see the nature of our Heavenly Father in the person of Jesus Christ. And what does Jesus do? He says, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. I came to give my life away. I came to give my life for you. Jesus comes along serving and loving and forgiving. 
Folks, you are no longer slaves to sin. You're no longer slaves to your old selfish nature. You're no longer slaves to that, that unforgiving nature. You can let it go in the name of Jesus because you belong to a new family, because you have a new heavenly father. You can forgive. Say this with me. I can forgive. Say it. I can forgive. I can forgive my brother. Say it. I can forgive my father. I can forgive my mother. I can forgive the people I work with. Not too many people are struggling on that. I can forgive the people I work with. I can forgive my boss. I can forgive my neighbor. Yeah, but he's parked on my property, Pastor. You don't know about that. He's putting his garbage in my can. He's not a nice neighbor. His dog does doo-doo on my grass. You don't know my neighbor. You've been given a brand new nature, folks. You've inherited the nature of Christ. And not only are you able to forgive and to serve and to love and to be unselfish, but you also have the inheritance of eternal life. When you die, you can say with certainty, I'm going to heaven. This world's not my home. I know where I'm going. There's one more thing I want to share with you about being a child of God. The old life is wiped out. When, you were, when a person would be adopted in Paul's day, in getting a new identity would mean that his old life was completely stamped out. So in other words... If you had debts, once you were adopted, those debts would be canceled because you were a brand new person. I want to tell you this. When I was born again, how many remember when they were born again? I don't often often ask that. Just wave at me if you remember what happened to you. I was about eight years old, and the pastor asked, does anybody want to become a Christian? And I jumped to my feet because I, I wanted it. I knew I needed it. I felt the stirring in my heart. And so he said, all you have to do is just pray and ask God to forgive you of your sin. And you just ask Jesus into your life. And he will come into you and you become part of his family and God will be your father. It was that simple. So I did that. And after I did that, something strange began to happen. I was, I was emotionally moved. Something was stirring in my heart. And I found myself crying, eight years old, son of a plumber, crying. Sons of plumbers do not cry. We bleed, but we do not cry. <laughs> and there I am, Adam, crying like a baby, crying, crying like a baby girl. <laughs> I wasn't sad. I had experienced the power of God in me, transforming me. I felt like a massive weight had lifted from my shoulders. I felt I could fly. Anybody relate to this with me? You understand what I'm talking about? Utterly, completely transformed. I was born again. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. And on the way home from from Boys Brigade, which is where I gave my heart to Jesus, 
I told my mom, and my mom said, you better make sure you tell your father when you get home. And I thought, "Uh uh-oh, the way she said it, it sounded like I did something bad. So I was nervous like crazy to tell my dad. But I got home, and my mom said, go, go tell him. So I went. I can report to you that my dad was extremely pleased because it was what he grew up with. My life was transformed. I got a, a text this morning, actually an email. And it, it, it's, an e, it's, a, it's an email that goes out to thousands of people. And this, this email, it's called Goals on Track. Eight strategies that will make you more productive. I just got this just an hour ago. And it tells me the eight strategies that will make me more productive. Do you know what I, I thought of? I thought so many churches are like that email. You come to church and the pastor gives you a little pop psychology course, a little pop psychology lesson. If you do these eight things, you could be a better wife. And if you do these four things, you could be a better husband. Notice it takes more things to be a better wife than to be a better if you do these eight things, you could be a better employee. If you do these three things, you can be a better basket weaver. If you do these eight, there's, in other words, the transformation that takes place in your life is just dependent upon you doing eight or three or four or nine or 12 things. Can I tell you something right now? The thing that's going to transform you is not by your pastor telling you the eight things that you can do to have a better marriage. What you need is the power of the Holy Spirit to work in you, to transform you, to renew you, to quicken you, to strengthen you, to enable you to live this life that God has called you to. You don't need a checklist. You don't need a list of things to do. What you need is you need the power of God to work in you. Folks, this is what makes this message, this is what makes church different from anything that the world has to offer because what I'm offering you is something that is supernatural. It's from God. It's not from my, if you've ever been see my library, I've got thousands of books. It's not from my library of books. It's not from my imagination. It's not from my years of experience of being a happily married man, 25 years this year, in case you don't remember. <laughs> what you need is not just my advice my list of things to do, what you need is the Holy Spirit to work in you and through you. This, my friends, is life in the Spirit. So here's what I'm asking you to do today in response to what you've heard. I want you to ask God to touch you all over again once again, to touch you afresh anew. And if you've been living your life sort of religiously, just going through the motions, 
you need to be reminded this morning that you are God's child and he's your father and he loves you and he wants to work in you and through you to make you more like Jesus. Now here's what I can tell you is that when you live a life that's like Jesus, my friends, that is when you begin to experience a great marriage. That's when you become a great parent. That is when you become the best at your career. That's when you begin to move up the the career ladder of success. That's when you become, contrary to what I just got in my email, that's when you become most productive. That's when you become the best father, the best mother, the best husband, the best wife, the best neighbor. When you learn to live the life in the spirit, you literally gain the very nature of Jesus Christ himself. How many here want to have a great marriage? How many, want to, how many want to be successful at their career, at their job? How many want to know the blessing of God on your life? It comes, my friend, when you begin to live a life in the family of God, acknowledging God is your father, acknowledging that you are called to be like Jesus. Here's what I know. Everybody who lives like Jesus, acts like Jesus, thinks like Jesus, they're the ones that are the happiest, the most joyful, the most peaceful. They're the ones who mysteriously discover that everything seems to go well for them. You see, Pastor, what about that last sentence? But if we are to share his glory, you must also share his suffering. Can I tell you this? The only kind of suffering that any believer should experience is the suffering that comes as a a result of living in this broken world or B, as a result of persecution that comes from following Jesus Christ. Those are the only conditions whereby you will possibly suffer. You should be living in, in victory. Because my Bible tells me that I am more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. I am more than victorious through Jesus Christ. And that's what God wants for you. Let's stand together, shall we? Father, we're just so grateful today to say, Father, We acknowledge today, God, that you love us and care about us. And you want us, oh God, to experience the fullness of this relationship with you. God, some of us, we must confess, we must admit, have grown fearful and we have failed, we feel that we have failed you and that somehow you're angry at us and that you've rejected us. But the fact of the matter is, is that this is just a lie from the pit of hell. You love us. We're your children. You'll never abandon us. You've called us your very own. You've embraced us as your own. It's true there's times when we must be disciplined by you because you are our father. But we know that at the end of the day, you love us more than than anything or anyone in this world. You love us beyond our, our wildest dreams, beyond our comprehension. You love us, you love us, you love us. 
So help us now, we pray, to recognize that the old person's dead and that we are a brand new creation in Christ Jesus. We belong to you. And we have your Holy Spirit living in us that produces the very nature of Christ. And in that, oh God, we know that we are more than conquerors. We will be successful in whatever it is that we put our hands to because, because we have the nature of Christ. And so we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me. Tell that person beside you, you have the nature of Christ.